Thank you. Oh, I knew I came here this morning and Tim was like, I'm going to give you the handheld mic. I was like, Tim, I'm not going to be able to hold the mic. So I'm so glad that he has to stand here until my nerves calm down and I kind of settle into this thing. Um, on top of that, I'm a very, very emotionally affected person by the Holy Spirit. So if I cry, I promise you I'm mentally okay. It's just sometimes it hits me and I'm just like, you know, I'm, sometimes you got to speak through the tears and the trembling and the fear and all that. So I was comforted today. I was reading about um, how Paul said he came to the Corinthians in much fear and trembling. And I was like, well, if Paul came that way, I can come that way. <laughs> so um, I think Eric has the thing ready. Oh. The last four years of my journey have been hearing the gospel pretty much for the first time, even though I grew up in church my whole life. <laughs> I um, have been radically affected by radical grace, mercy, and love of God, and that's what I want to share with you guys today. So Eric has a video, and I just want to ask that while, um, or it's not a video, it's a, it's a song, real quick song that I want you guys to kind of sit and soak and listen to. And I feel like prophetically what the Lord wants to do and release over this house is a permission to be in freedom in this, to no longer try to put boundaries and borders on grace. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. We don't need to kind of, you know, try to put a rein on this thing. He's got it. And for us to just completely uh, fall into him. So he can go ahead and play that. And if you just close your eyes if you want to. If you don't want to, that's fine. But just kind of go somewhere where you can let the Lord minister to you through this song. There's a king in my dreams and he's heard all my screams and he sings You are alive, you are my life Oh, this king in my dreams gathers me neath his wings and he sings I do not regret you and I will not forget you So wake up, oh sleeper, and see that you've risen from the dead. Wake up, oh sleeper, and see that you've risen from the dead. Shines, 
There's a king in my dreams And he's heard all my screams And he sings You are alive You are my light Oh, this king in my dreams Gathers me neath his wings And he sings I do not regret you I will not forget you Thank you, Eric. That song really meant a lot to me the first time I heard it because he was saying, wake up, O sleeper. See that you've risen from the grave. And it reminded me of a number that I had been seeing for a while now that the Lord, I believe, has been showing me, inviting me into this awakening of you've already been judged, your new creation, your everything is new. You can't go ever, you can't ever go back to being a worm again. You're resurrected. You're seated with him in heavenly places. And that scripture was John eleven eleven, where Jesus says, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. This is when Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, besides the obvious literal translation of this, which I love, too, I'm a person who is crazy enough that you can call up if your child dies or somebody dies that um, you feel like you want to go after that thing, I will most certainly come and partner with you to pray that that person be resurrected. Why? Because the Bible says I can. Why is the Bible says I can? Because we've been redeemed from the curse. Why have we been redeemed from the curse? Because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And the law of sin and death has been broken, and we are alive and awake and living in the law of liberty and righteousness in Christ Jesus. So later on in John, Tim... Tim warned me that this is how one Bible theologian began to lose their mind. (laughs) And I can see why. But I am really big into contextual hermeneutics and to kind of bridge the gap for everyone who doesn't understand this um, kind of Bible school language. I don't even know what you would call it, but... The reason why I learned it is because I wanted to know what these people were talking about. And so now I can sound smart because I know what it means, but really all you need to do is Google it and uh, you can figure it out too. (laughs) But uh, all that means is I can read this scripture and wonder as the Holy Spirit recorded this down for us to have as, um, I want to say this real quick. It's, it's a thought-provoking thing to think that the Bible was not written to us, but that it was written for us. And so there's been several people hurt very badly by taking scriptures out of context in the Bible and then turning around and putting them on you. Like, I'm, I feel like God says this about you. And just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that's what God's saying about you right now. Um, so there has to be a level of discernment in being able to rightly divide the word 
and a willingness to go deeper than the King James, a willingness to go deeper than even the King James into the Greek and the Hebrew and some things. There's, um, and I believe that's why God kind of anointed, you know, or I shouldn't say anointed, gifted teachers, pastors, you know, those kinds of things, because they can, they can do the gleaning for you, go through all this stuff so that you can kind of sit back and it makes sense. I can't tell you how many teachers or how many hours I have spent listening to different teachers that have broken down the word for me and simplified it in such a practical way and brought truth that um, I know sometimes we say from our head to our heart, but for me, <laughs> you know, it's always been the opposite. It's always felt like, it's like my heart feels like this way, but my head is like, so when I can get it from my heart to my head and I hear like the truth in my head, then I'm like, oh, this is what my heart's known ever since I was born. I've always known this about God, and now it finally makes sense um, through the Bible. So where I was going with that is when the Greeks and the um, Hebrews, their culture, especially the Hebrews, names had significance. Numbers had significance. Um, there's not much that I found in the Bible that doesn't hold some kind of significance, but it can be pretty much a rabbit trail. And I had a, um, a theologian tell me one time, he was like, always follow the red thread. Because if it doesn't, if, if the red thread isn't there and you're not finding Jesus, then you're, you can get off into some really weird territory with that. And all of a sudden, the Bible becomes your God instead of your relationship with Jesus and you're dissecting it and it's kind of like the guy in Close Encounters of the Third Kind down in the basement building this thing and, you know, it's just, you could start to get, you, could, you really could start to lose your mind. I could see that. But in 11.43 in John, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And he tells them to remove the stone. And he says, loose him and let him go. There's significance to this when I looked it up in different translations. What it was actually saying in the Greek was that Lazarus was buried in the tomb. He was dead for four days. And they put a stone, a boulder, in front of the tomb. His hands would be bound, his feet would be bound, and he's wrapped in the grave in strips of linen. And when he came out, Jesus said to his disciples, once he had come out and was raised from the dead, now unbind him, loose him. And that's what I hope to do for some of you today. Sometimes I know in my own journey, I have been really resistant to people, pull, really resistant to people pulling grave clothes off of me because they become very comfortable there's this movie called The Room on Netflix, and what it is about is this woman who's abducted, and she ends up getting raped by this abductor and gets pregnant, and she has, like, a six-year-old child. And they're stuck in this, like, 10-by-10 10 10 room, and eventually they get free, but the little boy wants to go back. He's like, Mommy, can't we just go back to room? 
And she's like, why would you want to go back to that room? Like, but for him, that's all he knew. That was comfort. So sometimes freedom can be painful because you have to learn how to walk in freedom. And it's a process, and it's, it's growing. And um, I can't say that it's always been easy. But it's definitely, instead of increasing my... Um, confidence in myself I'm sad to tell you it hasn't but it has grown my dependence on him and so I am stronger now because I've learned how to not rely on myself I'm stronger now because I've learned that in and of myself is a lot more of a sad situation than Christ living in me and through me I also think it's significant to know that there was a stone in front of the tomb. And a stone, a lot of um, commentators would say, represents the law in this case. Especially for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they had a call in their lives to minister to the Jews. So a lot of what you read that they write has very much a... Jewish culture flair to it because, and it's not even necessarily, I don't think I won't be bold enough to say that they even know that they're doing it, but I know the Holy Spirit knew that he was doing it. Um, Lazarus means the help of God. So isn't that funny? If a day is a thousand years and a thousand years a day, for four years or for four days, the help of God was shut up in a tomb somewhere. And when you rolled away the stone, when you rolled away the old covenant, the old law, that, that the help of God could come out. Isn't that interesting? Like what you think about that? So God shows me little treasures like that all the time. And I just wanted to share that with you guys. Another thing I wanted to talk about is judgment of God. This is something that terrified me since I was a little girl. Because no matter what I did, or how many times I prayed before I went to bed, Lord, I confess all my sins. Please forgive me for all my sins. And if I should die, that, I would, that my soul would go with you. Um, I never felt secure in my salvation, ever. And I always thought, what if I die and I stand before the Lord? And if you haven't ever thought like this, be thankful <laughs> because it's scary. I would say to myself, what if I die and I stand before the Lord and I would read scriptures like, depart from me, I never knew you. And so I would fear that that's what would happen to me. I would have nightmares about eternal separation from God. I would, have night I would lay in bed as a child, probably like five. I was saved when I was five, so it was probably around like five or six I would lay in bed and I would think these huge big thoughts about eternity without God. And for a six-year-old, that's kind of 
scary, but I, I didn't have words for it. I just knew that there was some kind of fear attacking my life. And um, I saw things. I saw, I had a, a very, like, um, what I understand now is like a prophetic gift or like discerning of spirits because I would see things as a child and I would constantly get shut down. But as I got older, that kind of went away. But in the last four years is when I told the Lord, I was like, you know, I'm ready to live my life for you, la, la, la. Like, here I am, and I just knew all heaven rejoiced because I had said yes to God. <laughs> and they did rejoice, but there was a lot of humbling in my process. But um, And that whole familiar feeling that I experienced as a child came back. And all of a sudden, I had to deal with this. I had to deal with the way that I saw God and the way that I was um, interpreting his word for my life, the, the Bible. And so it sent me on a journey, which began me printing out the Ten Commandments at work, trying to memorize them, me studying the law, and trying to find out ways that I could keep it and earn my righteousness. Me trying to tithe everything down to the dime, and then I started to think, well, what about my time? What about my, um... like, tithing wasn't just confined to money for me. It was like there was whole, there was a whole bunch of other things I could go with that. Um, and then I started to read scriptures like, whatever isn't of faith is sin. <laughs> I was like, well, what do I do with that? And then I started having tormenting thoughts that I could not control no matter how hard I tried. I had to sit at my work and in one ear listen to a, a preacher just to drown out what was going on in my head because I, I literally thought like I was going to end up in a mental institution. Which is funny because I feel like that is part of my calling in life is to help people with mental oppression. And I found out that there's a link between condemnation before God and mental illness. I'm not saying all the time, but there has been studies that have been shown that people who would be in inpatient centers, who would be completely deemed unhelpable, when they would do counseling, they would say things like, I've committed the unpardonable sin. They would say things like, um, they, just, they, they had this fear of God that was a slavish fear towards God that did not reveal him as Abba, that did not see, there was no relationship with the Holy Spirit as comforter. There was no how can we say that, how can we agree with Jesus when he says my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but then we become unequally yoked? And when he says being unequally yoked with the world, what, I mean, this is just me personally, I wonder if he's talking about the world's way of thinking. Not necessarily the world, because we're not called to come out of the world and separate ourselves, we're called to go to the world and make disciples. But the world's way is you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. 
That was also the way of um, Mount Sinai. But we've come to Mount Zion. So it's no longer about I do good, I get good. And this, it's hard for our flesh to wrap our minds around because we have been indoctrinated that God is still a transactional God. And the more and more I go deeper with him, the more I'm challenged that I'm like, it seems like when I try to be transactional with you, you're quiet. And when I'm just like, okay, forget it, you know, I'm not even going to try, all of a sudden you show up. And I believe he's progressively showing himself this way. I believe this is part of the awakening that we're in right now. Because we have increases in, we can look up stuff on Bible Hub, we have access to the Greek and the Hebrew. There's no longer an excuse, especially for um, Western America, to not be able to, the Western world, to be able to, to see that and to go after some of this truth in the world, in the word. So there's been huge leaps and bounds in um, biblical theology where people are finding out that there's stuff that we've believed for decades that has been completely translated wrong because one thing we also need to understand is biblical translators are operating through their own lens of how they see God. <laughs> so it's, it, it can be a rabbit trail, like I said, but the red thread is, a, is important. But back to what I was saying about the mental health place is that there was a man. He was a Baptist preacher. And I grew up Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, non-denominational. Like, I had a little bit of everything. So I've been pretty much well-fed, I guess, from different... <laughs> areas, but um, so he was a Baptist preacher, and Baptists are very, very much um, big on evangelism, and so he felt that he was called to this mental health place to minister the gospel to these people. They were non-responsive. If you try to minister the gospel to someone who's schizophrenic, or, um, which I've worked in mental health as well, and I've seen this firsthand, that you're, you're not going to get the response that you're hoping for, and you're, nine times out of ten, you're going to walk away disappointed. So he prayed about it, and he asked the Lord, Lord, what can I do to, to show you to these people? This is beautiful. He sat in a chair in the middle of the room, and he sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they be weak, but he is strong. And he sang that over and over, all day. Nothing happened. He went back the next day, sang again. Nothing happened. He did this in persistent pursuit of these people's freedom for over a month. And 90% recovered and checked out of the institution. Just from hearing the good news. 
which is very simple. God loves you. <laughs> I always love the book of Genesis because Genesis means origins or the beginning. And I was always fascinated with the way things began, like I wanted to know the beginning of things. And uh, what always struck me was the story about Adam and Eve and how when Eve ate the fruit and then Adam ate the fruit and God told them to leave out, that was always very painful for me to read. I'd be like, why would God kick them out of the garden? And then I started to realize that there was a tree of life in the garden as well. And I started to realize that the garden was never God's original plan. If it was, why would the lamb be slain slain from the foundation of the earth? And some people say, I want to go back to the garden. But in the garden, God walked beside us. In sonship, God walks in us and through us. Adam and Eve, when they hid from God, God said, where are you? And I heard a minister, his name is Paul White, if you are interested in anything I'm saying, a lot of, I've I've gleaned a lot from him over the last year or so. He said, what if God wasn't saying, where are you, like, where are you? Like, I know where you're at, but where are you? Kind of like we say to our kids. But what if there was a frequency that they had fallen from? And what if it was more like when you're in the store in a crowded mall and your child is one second right next to you? (laughs) And the next second... You don't see them anymore. What if his where are you was a lot more sincere and a lot more heart-wrenching than we even understand? And what if Adam and Eve... They were just led by their flesh like we all are sometimes. Not even blaming it all on the devil. Sometimes I think we give the devil way too much credit. He's here, he's there, he's everywhere. He is not omnipotent and he is not as powerful as we make him. But there is a flesh, there is a side of us that we are tempted to believe that God's withholding himself from us. That there's something that I need to do to, to, to make myself closer to him. There's something that I need to do to obtain relationship and godliness. There's something that I need to do. Just like the rich young ruler said, what can I do to inherit eternal life? My kids don't have to do anything to inherit my inheritance. They're just born, and they're born from my womb, and they're automatically in my will.
But Adam and Eve took fig leaves and they covered themselves before God. (laughs) Fig leaves. Remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree? Some significance. Remember when Zechariah climbed the sycamore tree so he could get a better view of Jesus? Some of us have climbed that religious ladder. Sycamore means an unproductive fig tree. Some of us have climbed that ladder of religion so that we could see Jesus clearly. And once we come to the end of ourselves, he's like, come out of that tree and come let me dine with you. Let me eat with you. Not interested in your fig leaves, not interested in your performance. But what I love about God is when Adam and Eve covered themselves in fig leaves, he turned around and removed the fig leaves, and he slaughtered an animal and covered them himself. He was like, he was not turned off by the sin, he was not scared of it, he didn't run from it, he ran to it like a papa, and he dealt with it. And he covered them. And then he left the garden with them. He was like, if you're not going to eat the tree of life, I'm going to follow you out here. I'm going to be with humanity until you guys can partake of this thing. And in my opinion, the last 6,000 years, have been God, has been God trying to bring humanity to a point where they can just allow themselves to be covered by him, where they can allow themselves to receive from him freely. And that's what grace means. A lot of times we think grace means I'm forgiven of my sin. I know there are some Pentecostal people in here who we know we were saved Hundreds of times. (laughs) Our salvation was here today, gone tomorrow. It was never, ever um, secure. And if you had a musical gift and you, uh, you hid your talent from God, you were going straight to hell. I stole that from Paul White, but he cracked me up how he said a talent is a form of money. It's not even the talent that, like, we, but we read, and it's just, it's funny how we do that. But I want to say that sustaining grace is just as important as saving grace. And I need to be reminded of it every day. And the scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But actually, we think, we, we, we hear that and we're like, okay, the word, the Bible. No, that's not what it says. It says hearing the word of Christ, if you look up the Greek. What's the word of Christ? The good news. I can preach to you a lot of stuff out of here that will not be good news to you. But if you are in Christ and you're reading this Old Testament, I'm big in the Old Testament. Just because I radically 
And in grace doesn't mean I throw away the Old Testament. But I've had an Emmaus Road experience with God in the Old Testament. They didn't even have the, the New Testament to read. God took them through the Old Testament and showed him himself. And they were just like, wow, their eyes were open. They saw it all. It's, hard, it's a hard tension sometimes to kind of figure out where you are in things, especially in a church, when you know that you're called to do good. You know that you're called to feed the poor, um, take care of widows and orphans. There is all of the, this fruit that we get concerned about. But I want to end with this, that Bill Johnson said that we tend to we tend to crucify the already resurrected man, and we do it in the name of discipleship and missionary work. And there is such a thing called dead works which I'm very familiar with. (laughs) And there is such a thing as you producing fruit and God cutting it because he wants better fruit because he's not just interested in your fruit. He's interested in the quality of the fruit. What quality of fruit does he want? Kind that is your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. It's protecting you from pride and protecting the person you're helping from their integrity being affected. I was the type of person that would go on a fast, and I'd be like, yes, I'm, I'm going to do a fast. And it's like I was tempted three times for the first three people I talked to to tell them about it. And then the, the fourth person I talked to, I'd be like, yeah, I'm doing a fast. And I'd be like, yeah. And then as soon as I'd hang up the phone, I'd, I'd lose all grace to do that fast. Which is funny, because Jesus said if you, you know, go around boasting about these things, you lose your reward, and there's no point. So there's some things that, um, what I'm trying to say is that we need to make sure that we're operating out of he is the vine, I'm the branch, and a branch doesn't produce fruit. The fruit comes from the branch, but the vine is the life giver. The vine is what we, we draw our sustenance from. And so if you're feeling heavy and weighed down and burdened by religion and just feeling like you can't ever do enough to please God, I will tell you, you're never going to be able to do enough to please God because he was already pleased. (laughs) He was pleased when he formed you in in your mother's womb. He was pleased in the midst of your worst sin. He's always been pleased. He doesn't, I'm not saying that, and a lot of people say, like, grace is a license to sin. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that grace changes me from the inside out. I've done more good on accident being under grace than I ever did on purpose trying to be a holy Christian.
And I'm going to end with this. Back to the heart and the mind thing. In the word it says in Ezekiel that God gave us a new heart. And that word heart there is different. You know what I mean? Sometimes like they translate mind and heart interchangeably and sometimes if you just look a little bit deeper you'll see that sometimes it's it's not always correct. But what I found in Proverbs 4:23 when it talks about be careful how you, one translation would say, guard your heart. For out of it throws the issue, flows the issues of life. The translation that I found to be more accurate was, be careful how you think, for your life is shaped by your thoughts. And John the Baptist came preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. And repentance is metanoia, in the Greek means change your mind. I believe it's a lot less like wallowing in your, in your sorrow over your sin and begging and pleading with God to forgive you, although I do believe in godly sorrow over doing something wrong. But it's not from God, it's from your own conscience. that it's more changing your mind, agreeing with him. What does he say about you? And if we can get there, then we can get every, if I can get there, I can get everywhere else that I'm passionate about and all the other things that I believe in, healing, resurrecting the dead, walking in prosperity, um, bringing the kingdom to, to earth, seeing the world radically affected by the good news. But if it's not built on that rock of agreeing with what God is saying right now, where we are in this new covenant, that it's not based on our works, but it's by grace through faith, and all his grace is is unmerited favor. And you can apply that to any area of your life. I've applied it to addictions in my life. I've applied it to um, negative thinking in my life. And a lot of changing your mind is having a thought, taking it captive, bringing it into the righteousness of God and the righteousness of Christ and saying, this isn't isn't a thought from God, and speak out the opposite. And that takes work. That takes commitment. um, But there's a laboring into this rest that I feel like God is inviting us into. And the, you know that um, scripture where Paul says that above all things, labor to rest. The word rest there is more like security. Above all things, labor to be in this security, the security that you've been given, the blessed hope that you've been given. So when we're faced with things, whether it be mental, whether it be circumstances, whether it be sickness, I look forward to a season where we can rally behind each other and say, because Jesus finished it and he did it, that's why we're going to declare this. That's why we're going we're to pursue 
forward in this thing. We're going to see this child healed. We're going to see and take the pressure off of ourselves and realize that it's already been finished. It's already been done. Um, real quick, I want to recommend this book, Hold On to Hope, by Nicole Marbach. She was a diagnosed um, schizophrenic, bipolar, depression, um, panic disorder. And she got a hold of, of this gospel that I was just barely being able to give a little bit of justice today. And she is completely set free now. She's a minister of the gospel, and she has a, a center called the Hope Center in Missouri, I think, or Michigan. And her story is very radical. It relates to mine of going through um, abuse and molestation and, you know, childhood trauma and all those kinds of things. And what does that look like in light of the gospel? What does that look like when we invite Jesus in? And how can we be set free from those kinds of things? So I really wanted to represent, I really wanted to recommend this book for everybody um, who's struggling with that. And now I guess the prayer team can come forward. And I feel like I feel like there's a grace on today's service to be able to walk in freedom. And so everyone can be released now. You can go to the lunch, but if you want to stay and pray or if you feel called to intercede, that you would intercede for freedom for the people that um, come up for prayer. But if you came here with, with chains and with things that are weighing you down, I would encourage you to come up and just once and for all let the Holy Spirit minister to you and let those things fall off. Take the pressure off of you. Um, we're not under a law that demands righteousness from bankrupt men anymore. We have all that we need. And so I just invite you to come drink that today and receive that from your brothers and sisters who want to pray for you today. And that we will continue to remind ourselves of that. Martin Luther said, I have to be reminded of God's grace every day because I forget. And that's true. Stay in the gospel and stay in the grace. So, Father, I release everyone today into our fellowship meal. Father, I pray that um, your word was effective and went forth in people's hearts and minds today. That there's a release that people can fall into you. That people can once and for all radically let go. Let go into your love, into your grace, into your mercy. We pray your blessing over the meal and over our time together, Father, and in our travels and in our week, Lord. We thank you for this body. We thank you for each other and for your presence here. In Jesus' name, amen.